It is so good to be back with another Behind the Yellow Line. Uh, very excited tonight, guys, to talk some Chicago Cubs baseball. We've got Jeremy here. We've got Randall here. We are recording this the night of August 10. So I think all Cubs fans right now feel a little bit of a burn dropping two of three against the Mets. But it is August 10. The Cubs are just two and a half games out of a division first place. They are half a game out of the final wild card slot in the National League. And guys, I'm just so happy here that that's where we're at in the middle of August right now. So I'm feeling good coming into the show tonight, despite the tough series here in New York. Yeah, you know, it beats the shit out of the last two Augusts we've gotten to enjoy. I would even put it up against the 2020 August, which was no real August at all. The series against the Mets notwithstanding, it's the first time we've really gotten to enjoy real competitive baseball in August in quite some time. So this this series notwithstanding, I'll take it. I, I'm, I'm very happy. I mean, this is our first pod in a couple of weeks, unfortunately, since before the trade deadline. And even then, we were still kind of debating, you know, then. They should buy whatever, hopefully keep playing well. But now it's August 10th and the Cubs are in the hunt. We're planning on playing competitive baseball for the rest of the season. We're not going away. I mean, things might happen, whatever. But the plan right now is to play competitive, real meeting baseball. And uh, yeah, this is the first time Randall says 2020, you know, wasn't a real August. I agree because there were no fans there. So this is the first time you're going to see people in the stands, a real electric atmosphere at Wrigley Field. Since I would say 2019, which obviously didn't end the way we wanted it to, but like we got baseball. This is what all fans want. This is what I even think Jed Hoyer and Tom Ricketts wanted. We want to put the fans in the seats, and I'm I'm ecstatic. I I'm so happy that we're in a position where we have real baseball to watch in August, and not trying to make ourselves feel better. Be like, oh, there's some interesting pieces here, right? <laughs> right. And this 2020, we were in what the third week of a 60 game season like that's that's not August. Yeah. it doesn't count yeah. so yeah i'll go back to 2019 as far as the last time we were able to enjoy it you know i, mean, I had uh enjoy. what's that i was gonna say they didn't really enjoy the end of that no. well it was fine in august it just went south it was fine September. when cast you're right when castiano showed up it was pretty good for like two weeks you know i caught up with my orioles friend the other day obviously they're having a great season in the american league and we were just uh, sitting going how nice is it that in the middle of august you're not just watching your team but you're watching other teams in the division or in the cubs case here other teams in the wild card like i love the fact that in the middle of august i care what the marlins have done tonight or what's going on in phoenix what's happening in cincinnati and milwaukee it's been a while right since we felt this way and what you were saying kind of, kind of a minute ago jeremy it's like yeah even if this was a lost season, there would be players we'd be excited about, maybe some prospects coming up that we could talk about. This is one million times better. And it is fun to be watching other teams. And I, I like rooting against the Marlins on a random Tuesday in August. That's fun. Definitely. I mean, your MLB.TV package feels a little more value right now because you're, you're going around watching all the different games. Yeah, I you know, it, it, it's fun to see to like root against the Reds, to root against the Brewers, be pissed off at the Rockies for throwing, literally throwing (laughs) the game away the other day. It's fun to actually have that emotion because it matters and you care about it. And so the fact that the Cubs are going to be in this run is that's great. It's great for the city of Chicago and the, the, you know, the fan base. And it's, it's great that like we're here getting to watch it and talking about it because since we've done this podcast, we have not had that position. We we started at the end of 2020, after the mm-hmm. 2020 season, 2021. We thought we might get a little bit in May and June, but 
But other than that, it's not been great times on our podcast. And now we're in there. We're actually going to be doing a podcast during hopefully a playoff hunt and possibly a playoff appearance. Wow, that's that's going to be big time for us. And you mentioned getting value out of your MLB TV package. It's a good thing MLB TV doesn't charge like surge pricing. Like if your team is in the hunt and you're scoreboard watching, they start charging you more. Fortunately, they don't do that. Yeah. It's good. It's definitely good stuff. The other thing too, you know, they release next season schedule so early now. So being the non-Chicago resident here out in Denver, I saw, okay, when are the Cubs going to be in Denver in 2023? I saw more than a year ago at this point that it was going to be in September. And to be honest with you, for most of the last year and a half, I've thought, well, the tickets will be cheap. You know, it's midweek. It's in September. The Rockies are terrible. I don't know how good the Cubs are going to be. I'm very excited if a month from right now, I'm at Coors Field with the Cubs either trying to secure the division or lock down a wild card spot. And just seeing meaningful September baseball again is something that I'm excited about. And there's a long way to go here. But the Cubs have played very good baseball since the All-Star break. Um, To your point, Jeremy, uh, since the trade deadline, we haven't had a show. So we have some new players to talk about, a number of transactions that have taken place, adding guys on the roster, removing guys from the roster that we want to share some thoughts on, um, as well as just sort of this upcoming stretch of baseball right now. Um, One thing I did want to ask you guys about was there are some problems in the starting rotation. Uh, Drew Smiley is the head that's floating around me as I say that right now. Well, the Cubs have a number of off days over the next week, two next week, one here tonight as we're recording this. So the Cubs come out and they're proactive and saying, hey, we're moving Smiley back to the bullpen for a little bit. Uh, This is a relief, guys, because it feels to me like when this guy's on the mound, it's like if this team doesn't score 15 runs, I don't know that they're winning this ballgame. He's like a he's like a white flag on the first in the first inning. And it's just it's been bad. You two were fortunate to have been at what was probably his best start against yeah. the Dodgers all the way so. back in April. And it's been it, that's not where it went downhill, but it feels like it's been bad since then. You know, this team can't afford to keep throwing away games. And to that point, you can't afford to keep running Drew Smiley out there to start. And I'm glad they're being proactive in not doing that anymore. It's certainly it feels like they've kind of been that way for a couple of weeks now, you know, with the using the opener during his starts with uh, St. Louis. I know Jed and, and David, they've, they've all said that a lot of that is a function of how, you know, St. Louis's roster and, and lineup sets up against uh, uh, left handed pitching. Of course, they didn't expect <laughs> Lars Newbar to home run first pitch both of those games, but whatever. Um, but, yeah, they're there. It's clear that Drew Smiley is not. Uh, currently like a trusted guy in the rotation. And it's going to be interesting to me to see how they use it because one, he has to be kind of perfect to be uh, effective. And when he's not perfect, things can go bad and they can go bad quick. And like him against Pete Alonzo, I, I I felt that going into that game, like this is a terrible matchup. I, I It's going to be horrible to watch Drew Smiley pitch against Pete Alonzo. And of course he hit two home runs off him, but uh it, it's going to be interesting to see how they use him because as, as has been noted on the Twitter sphere or excuse me, the X sphere. Now I think we're calling it. Uh, he has some escalators and, and uh, you know, bonuses in this contract for how many innings he pitches. So he gets 110 innings. He gets 120 innings. He gets 130 innings. He has both bonuses and escalators because he's going to be around next year for his contract next year. So the Cubs could be saving some money here by not. I don't think they're purposely trying to do it. I think it's because he's not really been effective but they could be saving some money here that might go into next year's uh, budget. 
it, basically Smiley and Assad are swapping roles. Assad is moving into the starting rotation for now, and Smiley's going to be that long guy who Ross throws out there when the game is kind of out of hand one way or the other. Where if they they're already losing big and you need somewhere to go, someone to go out there and eat two or three innings because the starter did not do that, Smiley's going to do that. And if the Cubs are winning big, you know, and it doesn't matter if he gives up three or four runs, Smiley's going to do that too. So basically, they've swapped Assad's role and Smiley's role, and that's that's kind of okay because Assad had been very good in that bulk role. Uh, you don't have better options right now. I'm okay with them at least on a with on a very short leash, seeing if Assad can replicate that coming out of the starting rotation again. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Stroman comes back because then you're going to add another piece. And in these off days, you have Assad because Assad right now is taking Stroman's start, uh, I think, going into uh, Toronto. So uh, that's kind of obviously put in how the Cubs work out this rotation because of course, Justin Seals has been pretty much great all year. Uh, Jameson Tyone has really kind of shown it that late. Like, that's a guy I would love to talk about who has been so good as of late. And Kyle Hendricks, I think, has been pitching pretty well most of the season. Uh, obviously got beat up in that one inning against the Braves. But other than that, I thought he even pitched pretty well against the Mets last night. I thought, you know, he threw that one kind of terrible pitch. And, of course, he threw a terrible pitch to Pete Alonso and he crushes it. But other than that, I thought he pitched pretty effectively, only gave him two runs. So it's going to be an interesting how they kind of deal with those uh, end of rotation spots with Smiley Assad and Strowman, who's been, you know, kind of on his way uh, with his struggles as of late. Yeah, Hendricks was, I think, just a few pitches away from pitching six shutouts, six very strong innings. We know he made the mistake to uh, the polar bear. And that fifth inning, his final inning, was all sorts of things working against him. The infield single, a soft single. So I think he was just a couple of inches, a couple of pitches away from giving the Cubs six shutout innings. So he has, aside from the one inning against the Atlanta buzzsaw, and that Braves team has gotten a lot of very good pitchers this year. So I don't look at that as being a... Uh, a fault of Kyle so much as it is a, a just a very good offense doing its thing. So he has been pretty steady for them. You're going to need him to keep doing that because there, there isn't a whole lot of help for this rotation potentially waiting in the wings. You know, a strength for the Cubs over the last two weeks of they've played really good baseball overall. And speaking of pitching is the bullpen. And it has me chuckling a little bit because it wasn't that long ago on the show we were saying, God, who can you trust in the bullpen? We've also said so many times, bullpens are fickle. Guys get hot, guys sort of lose it. There's always that risk when you're paying a lot of money for a relief pitcher. Um, isn't it sort of humorous, though, Jeremy, that the back end of this Cubs bullpen, they've suddenly found a number of guys here that you can count on, that you can put in high-leverage situations. Two months ago, we weren't feeling that maybe there was any guy that was really that sure thing you could turn the ball over to. Right, yeah. You know, I, I would say in April and May, we were kind of feeling like, how can we trust this bullpen? It's been kind of, you know, and, and the Cubs have kind of shown in the past that Jed Hoyer and, and the front office an ability to kind of build pretty good bullpens out of mm -hmm. just pieces that they find around. And we thought maybe we could get that again this year. And it started off, you know, so poorly blowing a bunch of games. We all know how bad Michael Fulmer was in the months of April and May. He was pretty poor. But since then, since May 28th, he's been phenomenal. Uh, so Michael Fulmer has been a guy just coming in, establishing himself. They have Mark Leiter Jr., who mm -hmm. is unhittable against lefties. Left-handed batters cannot hit this guy. It's incredible to see a guy like that come out of pretty much nowhere. He was starting a little bit later, and Boog keeps mentioning, you know, the Cubs outright him off the 40-man the roster, and he comes back, and he's been unhittable against lefties. Julian Merriweather, a guy who struggled kind of early on, has turned it up a little bit. And then you get in the bullpen, or excuse me, in the, in the the at the end of the game, Abbott Elzelay, 
has just taken over that closer role. And that's been spectacular. We've all wondered is Asley is his best role beaming the bullpen, maybe a long inning guy, but he's taken over that closer role. He's, you know, we, we've been curious about his ability to pitch to lefties for the most part, he's been able to get them out this time. And I think he's been phenomenal. Like that when he was pitching against the white Sox a couple of years ago, he looked lights out. And so it's, it's just been, it's been fun to kind of turn it over to this bullpen, even after like, We've given up some struggles lately. Uh, the starting pitching, giving up some runs. This bullpen has been lights out, and I they are the unsung heroes, in my opinion, mm-hmm. of this Cubs run because they have been so good. And they're not named guys; they're guys that just kind of, for the most part, the Cubs just picked up and worked with. And you know, Adbert has been around; has been a top prospect. But other than that, like these are not main guys, and I've been very impressed by them over the last you know two months or so. And Jeremy, just to give some uh, numbers for your for your statement here, because we all love numbers. Uh, Mark Leiter Jr. is allowing a 145 batting average against against left-handed hitters and route to a 477 slash. So he's, you know, we've talked about how he's the, the lefty in the bullpen. He's certainly done that job. And I don't think it's coincidence that the back end of the bullpen solidified when David Ross installed a certain someone uh, at least started installing a certain someone as the closer and giving him the save opportunities, because that's always going to be your best reliever generally. And when you can solidify that, that's the foundation on which everything else gets built. So when you have your ninth inning guy who takes the role and run with runs with it, that allows your eighth inning guy to settle in that allows your seventh inning guy to settle in. And I don't think it's coincidence. That the two things solidified right around the same time. And just how fun is it watching Abbott? Right. Like like there's guys in baseball that are good at what they do and he's been phenomenal in this role. But there's guys that are also just fun to watch the way they react, the emotion they show on the field. It's great. I'm loving it. It, Yeah, you see the emotion, the energy after every save he has, you know, I don't believe in a whole lot of uh, intangibles. In baseball, but you know, I do, I do believe that not everyone can necessarily close ball games. Adbert clearly has that little extra bit of crazy that a good closer needs to have, where where it's a combination of amnesia and blinders, and just again a little bit of crazy that you can't quantify. And Adbert has that uh, in spades so far. And again, this is my beat, but he also has elite field to phone speed. Like that dude's tweeting out his post game tweet four minutes after he gets the final out. I haven't seen speed like that since Wilson Contreras, who used to do the same thing. Do we know uh, exactly? For he, I feel like he, he's always one after he gets a big close, you know, somebody, he's always hitting like the glove, the kind of the top on, on the wrist. Is that mean like something specific or is that just, I feel like he's, he's making some sort of signal there. You know, you know I haven't, I haven't seen anything. I'm wondering if he's just making sure he, uh, you know, doesn't go too hard into the palm of his glove. You got to keep that hand. You got to keep that hand safe. But he's also not overly judicious with smacking his catcher on the chest protector. So just keep those hands and fingers safe, Adbert. Yeah, I feel like it has to have some sort of meaning because every time he has a save, he's always hitting and he hits it for a while, the, the top of his wrist uh, on the glove. But uh, yeah, he's been phenomenal. Uh, he did worry me a little bit on that throw uh, to dance me uh, when he got that double play at the end of the game against the Mets in the game that they won. Uh, it was a little bit of a little throw, but Dansby, Dansby made the play. He's got the soft hands, great defensive player. And yeah, they were able to get it out of that, you know, and get the the win. And and Adbert, he's, he's been a huge part of this. And as I said, the bullpen has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we all like to hate on the bullpen when they're doing poorly. Nobody trusts their bullpen, but you have to give them credit when they've been very good and they've been very good. And Randall, Rad- Randall, excuse me, Randall ratted off those Mark Lyer Jr. numbers. They're absolutely incredible against lefties. And look, 
Michael Fulmer has been pretty much like, yeah, sometimes you get a little nervous with him on the mound, but you got to give that guy credit. He's been very good over the last couple of months. Jeremy, you noted the low throw he made in starting the game-ending double play the other night. It was a low throw, but he knew who was running. It was Captain Refrigerator over there, Daniel Vogelbach running down the line. Cliff Floyd said on the post-game show, you've got about a week and a half to get that ball over to first. Uh, he gave Dansby time to get to second base and give him a throw that he could handle. So at least he had enough awareness to know who was running and to give his shortstop time to get to the bag. Because like you said, there's a lot of things that can go very, very wrong on that play. And Advert at least did his part to make sure that none of them were going to go wrong. So awareness, awareness is key. There's a lot of guys that are fun to watch right now with this team. Um, a number of guys on offense too. Uh, that's been a big part of it. Jeremy, you're talking about the bullpen maybe being the unsung hero of this stretch. Offense has also had some nights where you're like, oh my God, they did what? And I think what's been extra fun about it is it's been against opponents that are particularly fun to beat. They've beat up on the Cardinals at Wrigley Field and down in St. Louis over the last two weeks. Uh, Ten runs against the White Sox. The Reds come in, a team that's fighting for a playoff spot. You drop 20 and 16 on consecutive nights against them, and then you take two or three from Atlanta. So they're beating bad teams, but rival-type teams that you want to beat. They're beating teams that are competing for playoff spots, and Atlanta, who's established itself as the best team in the National League up to this point. Um, so there's a number of guys offensively. We could talk about Bellinger. Saya finally swinging the bat yesterday in New York. That was sort of nice to see. But I want to get to the trade deadline. I asked you guys right before the trade deadline, what position do the Cubs need to address and who is a realistic target that they could go and get? And without skipping a beat, you both said you call up Washington, you bring the candy man home. The Cubs do just that. He's been tearing the cover off the ball and had some great games with the Cubs since he's been in town. We'll get plenty of time to talk about that. What I want to ask you about is the other half of the trade you got to give up prospects. These are two guys that we've talked about on this show. Randall, given where the Cubs are, what they're trying to do, what they gave up, how does the package sort of feel, right? What they had to give up. How is that sitting with you here a couple days later? You know, I saw the the Rosenthal tweet or zeet as Jeremy likes to call them come across the wire. I said, all right, this is a great get. What did they give up? And when I saw the return... Honestly, I said that's very reasonable. So, of course, if our listeners are not aware, the Cubs traded double-A left-hander DJ Hers, who we've talked about on these very airwaves, and they traded uh, South Bend, that's A-plus, shortstop Kevin Made. And honestly, that's a very fair trade for a player whom you're going to get a lot of utility out of. Hers has great stuff. He throws hard for a left-hander. He throws in the mid-90s. There are questions about his delivery. There are questions about his control, whether he's going to end up a starting pitcher or whether he's going to end up in the bullpen. And if he ends up in the bullpen, there's a lot of concern that he's going to walk too many guys for, your, for a one-inning or a two-inning guy. And then Kevin Mate, you have tons of middle infield depth in the system. A level below Kevin Mate at Myrtle Beach, you have Christian Hernandez and Jefferson Rojas. You just drafted a pretty good shortstop in Matt Shaw, who, by the way, has an OPS over 1,000 in two weeks at South Bend. You drafted another shortstop. Jeremy, I'm blanking on the name here, the University of Florida shortstop. Oh, Josh Rivera. You drafted Josh Rivera, another polished college middle infielder. You're not hurting for middle infield depth in this system. Kevin Made, there's questions about whether he's going to hit, questions about whether he's going to stick at shortstop physically. This seems like just a complete no-brainer trade. You traded two guys who were lower in the system, didn't necessarily have an immediate path to MLB, questions about what their role would be if they do ever do get there, positions of depth. It, it checks off all the boxes. Like I almost said, wow, 
Is that all they gave up for Candelario? So as far as the trade, I think it's a very reasonable package to give up. I, I agree with you, Randall. I, I think also one thing that should uh, be noted about the package that the Cubs gave us, I believe both those guys are are uh, Rule 5 eligible at the end of this year. So you would you yeah. had to have found room on the 40-man to keep them or hope that nobody drafted them, which pro- nobody's probably drafted Kevin Mate, but because he's so raw and, and young. But you know, maybe somebody could draft a DJ Hers and put him in the bullpen. Uh, and I don't think the Cubs, you know, with their roster crunch of prospects, I, I don't think they have that room to, you know, put a guy on like that on the 40 man. So those are two guys that could have been gone anyways at the end of the year. Uh, you know, they have some talent, obviously, guys in minor trades, like I'm, I'm not gonna call it a minor trade, but like in. You know, guys like that can can be uh, can make it to the big leagues and be competitive and and have careers. But more often than not, they, they tend not to. Uh, you know, you know, the Cubs traded Alex Lang for Vic, uh, Castellanos. Lang's had an okay career in the majors, but nothing special. Unfortunately, a guy in Cubs trade away right now is kind of beaten up a little bit. Andrew Monasterio just shows up in Milwaukee and is start starting to hit some home runs and and make it hard for the Cubs to compete here. But that, that's a guy they trade for Daniel Murphy. But you know. Those things happen, right? So I, I like the return. I think it's fine. Uh, the package given up, excuse me. I think it's fine. I don't think DJ Hurts, he had a lot of questions. He had been struggling a little bit late. Kevin Mate, this guy has a ton of raw talent, but hadn't really been showing. Yeah, they're, they're guys that are probably going to end up elsewhere, in the uh, outside the organization anyways. So I think it was perfectly fine. They were not top 10 prospects in the Cubs system, you know, probably 15 to 20. So I think it was a perfectly fine move to give them up. It was a perfect, perfect use of prospect depth. That's absolutely what you should be doing year in and year out is figuring out who you can afford to part with without kind of harming the depth in your system and trading that for useful major league pieces. It's a terrific trade. And most importantly, they're going for it, right? Like they're not going all in for it, but they're going for it. They're trying to improve the roster. So in August here and in September, they've got a legitimate chance of making the postseason. And they played good baseball since he's come over. Um, This is a guy too that has played third base. He's played first base. And the fact that the Cubs now have a couple of guys that can handle first base is really good because Trey Mancini is no longer with the organization we all agree that that was the right thing the Cubs needed to do. There's no doubt about that. We could go on for an hour about that. Are we surprised that they actually did it? I was shocked. I was shocked, Ronan. You asked that same day, what's the move going to be to get Candelario on the roster? And there was, maybe they'll send Amaya down. Maybe they'll find a trade for wisdom to clear the spot. I don't think any of us thought they would do the surprising but correct thing and jettison Mancini and eat that money that they owe him for next season. But it was absolutely the right decision. He simply was not contributing to the roster on any facet. I'm sure he was great in the clubhouse, but until you can translate that into game-winning ability, it was absolutely the right move. And he has not landed anywhere else yet to the best of my knowledge. So, you know, it's possible it wasn't just the Cubs uh, holding him back, but I was shocked they did it, but I was I was pleasantly pleasantly shocked that they did it. I, I was pretty surprised as well. I thought I thought it was going to be wisdom. Uh, I was going to get the Evo. There were some rumors of the Cubs were trying to find a taker for him. I either wisdom or Amaya going. I, I was stunned. I, I thought you know as Randall said, Trey Mancini is under contract for twenty twenty four. So I did not expect him to go anywhere. I thought you know they just keep him around. But as Randall said, like that was a pleasant surprise. It spoke to me because it meant the Cubs were serious to me. In my opinion, like they're they're eating this money. They're because they want to win. And they want to put the best team on the field. 
And I was a big proponent of Trey Mancini. I said it on the podcast before the season started, but once he started not hitting and yeah. not being able to field, I think it was pretty clear in like late April that this guy's not athletic enough and can't hit that. He's just a negative. He's been pretty much a negative. You can try to find ways to get him on the place, but on in the lineup, but I, I was, I, I was out on Mancini before I was out on Hosmer. Everybody was out on Hosmer. I'm like, at least that guy's picking it at first. Mancini's not even picking it at first. Uh, but uh, I, I was very happy that that was the move they made. And I, I don't think necessarily, I think I have some, I, some thoughts on the way the Cubs are utilizing Candelario. I don't know necessarily if I totally agree uh, with him getting so much first base time. Cause I, I feel like there's other ways they can do it, but uh, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I was very happy about that. Well, well give it to us. What, what are they doing wrong with Candelario and, and first well, base? Actually, that's, it's not necessarily like, I, I think Candelario should be like, I I'm, I'm, I think Mike Talkman needs to be in the lineup more right against left-handed pitching uh so like last night we had patrick it's, it's not necessarily candelario we had patrick wisdom at first base i don't understand why patrick Wisdom was playing first base last night i i we're all for getting say suzuki more at bats i think that guy hits the ball put him in good positions i thought last night against lefty great but you could have put bellinger at first you could have put talkman in center you could have had still had suzuki in right and you could have had jamer and at third base i i i think that would have been a great uh, play it, that that's really more what my issue was last night. Not necessarily Jamer playing first. I think that would have been a better lineup. I don't understand why we're trying to put Patrick Wisdom out there to get two at bats against a left-hander. I'd rather have Mike Talkman playing, and so that I just think that Jamer should be playing third against lefties. Talkman in center, Saya in right, put Bellinger at first. That's my lineup. Jeremy, I agree. I think Talkman needs to start being in the lineup against left-handed pitching if you don't want to bat him lead off against lefties that's fine put him down the number eight number nine spot let him see if he can get himself on base and kind of act as that second leadoff man i agree with you completely i think that against left-handers you need talkman in center you need bellinger at first candelario at third i think that's optimizing your lineup and i'm gonna i'm gonna voice one other complaint here regarding bellinger it's not about bellinger i think you need to start batting him third i think you need to bat hap the second or even lead him off because on base is really his only repeatable skill at the moment. How many games I can think of two in the last week and a half where Bellinger has been left in the on deck circle in a key final at bat of the game. I think you need to move him up. I think you need to move Hap up. I think you need to start optimizing the lineup a little bit more. I know Joe Madden always said that uh, complaining about uh, batting order is what was his word. It was, you know, I forget what his word was, but unsophisticated unsophisticated yeah. was his word. It's not a very sophisticated way of looking at things. Exactly. But I, I think you need to start putting Talkman in there against lefties. Start letting your best players play and let it go from there. I don't know that you need to tinker quite as much as you have been just to try and get Nick Madrigal or Patrick Wisdom in the lineup. Yeah. I, to be honest, I, Nick Madrigal is the guy who's been like, been so good since he come off the aisle. I don't necessarily mind getting him in as much, but I, 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 I agree with you on principle, Randall. I disagree a little bit with you on some of the positions that, that these guys should be hitting. I think Clay, Cody Bellinger should be in second, in my opinion. I think because I think you could put your best hitter in the two spot. I think one of the problems with being in the three spot is that is this position that comes up the most with runners on, with excuse me, nobody on and two outs. Like that comes up the most. And I think you want to get a guy like Cody Bellinger doing damage early. And Nico, I, as much as we all love Nico, his offense I don't think has quite been there to be getting as many at-bats as he. I think he should be moved down lower in the lineup. So I, I would put Cody in the two spot. 
Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I do think there needs to be some more lineup optimization. I agree with Joe Madden. That's on principle that it you know optimizing lineup doesn't really change that much over the it's not like a huge thing but it does if you're not trying to win on the edges you're trying to win on the margins every little bit helps so i i do think there are better ways to do it it was something i had a little bit of a beef with last night but hey man the fact that mike tockman is sitting here and we're all like you need to get that guy more yeah. who would have thought that in spring training yeah. i remember when broden mentioned him as like you know say suzuki's out who's gonna be playing the outfield well it could be Mike talkman but like now we're in August and we're like, get that dude at bat. He needs to be playing. <laughs> Could Mike Talkman be the most exciting thing to happen to Palatine in years? Many people are saying. Ronan, I know how much you love tinkering. I know how much you love the margins oh, yeah. and the little, the little tiny things. Where are you on optimizing the lineup? Who should be hitting where according to you? Well, I'll I'll say Ian Happ's bumming me out. Right. And I don't like that because I love Ian Happ and I've loved it since he's been on the roster. I think Ian Happ helps this team. I don't think that if this guy is in the heart of your order, that's going to be a very good thing for them down the stretch and in the postseason. I like him much further down in the order and doing what he does in the outfield. I was thinking Wednesday night, you got the tying run at third, you've got a runner at second, first base is open, Nico comes up. And I'm thinking this is perfect, knowing that Ian Happ is on deck. And what I'm thinking is Nico's probably going to make contact. And if he can just put the ball in play, maybe it sneaks in the outfield. You at least tie the game. You maybe take the lead. You get a chance to win it here in the ninth and take the series against the Mets. They threw four pitches with no intention of any of those pitches being in the strike zone. Basically an intentional walk, right? Now Hap comes up and it's like, oh, I just hate this situation for him, right? And especially because the pitcher had been wild. He had been walking guys. So Ian takes the first pitch. He's immediately down 0-1, chases another one. He's down 0-2. And I mean, Randall, you said it in the group text. You're like, this is over. He's going to chase a pitch out of the strike zone. This game's going to end with a strikeout. He fouled a couple off, and then that's how it ended. So I, I think Ian needs to be bumped down a bit. I, again, he can help this team. Uh, the corners have been a problem most of the year, but it bums me out if this guy is hitting right in the heart of your order. It's not going to bode well the rest of the way or in the playoffs. And I, I need to I need to get this out here. This was a series of some of the worst home plate umpiring I've seen <laughs> over a full series in quite some time. Whether you're going by the eye test, whether you're going by the, the rule book strike zone, I, I wanted to tear my hair out the entire series. Inconsistent, incorrect, inaccurate. According to the, the umpire scorecard, uh, it was heavily, it benefited the Mets a great deal in game three. I, I need to get that out there. Some of the worst home plate umpiring across a full series that I have seen in quite some time. I, I need to get that out there. I know the umpire association listens to us. I need them to know how pissed I am at them. I just need to get that out there. Uh, Everything you said about Ian Happ is correct. I'll, I'll make sure you get that uh, to get this rant in front of Joe West. I'll send it to him. Uh, oh, as for Hap, oh, if you're sending it to Joe West, I got a lot more to add, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, you okay. tell me if that's where this cargo ship is heading, because I will add a lot to that manifest. <laughs> that's funny. As for Ian Happ, I, I, I mean, yeah, he has not been the power quite hasn't been quite there uh, all season, but I, I do feel like he's been turning it on a little bit as of late, and he's been taking a lot of walks. Like his, his on base yeah. percentage is pretty high. So yeah, I agree with you. Like it hasn't been quite what we expected this year. I don't necessarily know if I would have him batting three in the lineup, move him down a little bit, but I still think he's been a pretty productive uh, player for this Cubs team. And I, I do just want to talk about that, what we saw last night a little bit because I thought last night and it was a kind of a poorly managed game. And I'm not going to blame David Ross for that loss last night because I do believe 
and something that's been unfortunate with this past series against the Mets, who I do actually think are a decent team. I don't think they're like as terrible as everything. That. I think they have still decent talent. They're probably like a 500 team the rest of the way. Uh, the Cubs didn't score any runs last night and they didn't score any runs the night before. And they didn't score any runs the first night, basically, at least in comparison, they had two runs each night, three runs in comparison to how they're doing. And they were facing some pretty poor pitchers and Carlos Carrasco and David Peterson. So I, that was my, where my real issue was with last night. But I will say, I thought David Ross completely mismanaged that second half of that, that baseball game last night. I don't understand why he pinched it for Miguel Maya. Like, People are talking about, well, why wouldn't you just let Nick Madrigal hit? Why wouldn't you let Miguel Amaya hit? I mean, you got runners on first and second, no outs. Miguel Amaya is not a guy who hits the ball on the ground. He's only grounding two double plays the entire season. That's less than 2% of his plate appearances. He's uh, until yesterday, he only grounded, he only hits 29% of his balls on the ground. So 70% of his balls are in the air if you're that afraid of the double play. And Miguel Amaya has way more power and ability to do damage than Nick Madrigal does. So I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why you don't just let him hit. You already have a runner in a scoring position. You're batting the runner over to put him in second, third for a guy, Christopher Morel, who I love, hit a leadoff home run. I think has been fantastic this whole year. I've been very impressed by him. Has a high strikeout rate. He has a high strikeout rate. He's facing a pitcher who's trying to get a strikeout in that situation. You don't bunt a guy like that over, in my opinion, for a guy with a high strikeout. Like, even if you're going to bunt that guy over, I think you got to pitch it for Morel. I think you got to put Jan Gomes in there or someone who's going to do a better job of trying to make contact. I think you got to do, especially since you took a Maya game, because if you tie it, you're going to need a catcher. Um, so I I just thought that was completely mismanaged. I was very disappointed in that whole situation. I, I didn't like it. And I thought he did a poor job managing the bullpen, too. I didn't think Hayden was. This. I don't understand. You had an off day today. Just go for it, man. Put your best relievers in that was an important game so i don't i'm not blaming david ross for that loss and i think he's done a lot of good things since i talked bad about him over this period of time but i thought that was poorly managed second half of that ball game and i i had to get that off of my chest randall well you're you're that's perfectly fair you're talking bad about him now hopefully that kind of resets the uh the flipper it has been this many days since we had to rant about david ross uh and yeah, it, you know, you lose a one run game like that where you had every opportunity, including in the ninth inning, you lose a one run game like that. It's really easy to point out everything that went wrong to deny you that tying run at various points throughout the ballgame. That, that's what one run losses do to you. They, they do things to your mind like that. I mean, at the end of the day, you need to score off David Peterson as one of the worst starters Correct. in Major League Baseball. Correct. So like that's where it goes down to. But you also need to, you know, as we've talked about, make those margins matter get those competitive edges. And I don't think David Ross did that last night. It was frustrating, right? It's tough to lose two out of three with all the good momentum they've had. Uh, important weekend here in Toronto against a team that right now would be playoff bound if the season were to come to a close. They're that final wild card team right now in the American League. Um, after that, you get a long stretch against uh, teams like the White Sox, the Royals, the Tigers, the Pirates. So again, uh, after this tough weekend in Toronto, you've got a long stretch of baseball against teams that have been bad or awful this year. So the Cubs can really do a lot of damage here. Um, think Thinking about Cubs-Blue Jays, these teams have only played each other 18 times in Major League Baseball history. Hasn't been a lot. Randall, I wanted to ask you, Rogers Center, right? The home ballpark for the Blue Jays. You wouldn't see a ton of that, right? The Cubs haven't played there a lot in your lifetime. You're not a guy who seeks out American League Baseball in your free time. What do you think when you see Rogers Center? Like, What comes to mind when you see that ballpark? What comes to mind when I see the Rogers Center? That's a good question. I think of uh, Jose Bautista sure. flipping his bat. 
Um, I don't think of a whole lot else when it comes to the Rogers Center. I think of the hotel in center field, which, you know, you're going to see anytime anyone hits a fly ball. But there's not a whole lot else. You know, I, I you know, funny that they have the, uh, the the distances down the lines in center field in miles or I'm not miles. It's a long home run feet and uh, yeah, feet and um in meters. meters. So but it's just kind of a nondescript ballpark. It's kind of ugly on the inside. I know the Blue Jays, I think, have been, as so many teams are, uh, duking it out a little bit with the local government uh, money for improvements. It's just kind of a featureless ballpark. And um, it's not really a bad thing that the Cubs don't play there all that often or haven't. They will now every other year. You know, for the most part, I think ballpark renovations are a good thing. Most places you see it and you go, there's some weird ones. Like the left field fence in Baltimore is kind of a weird thing. I don't think it's aesthetically pleasing. You go to places like Houston where they get rid of the hill and you're like, okay, that's a better move. I don't like what the outfield looks like at Rogers Center right now. I have been watching them because they're, you know, a fun team to watch and all that. But I think that fans will notice the outfield in particular, like when the ball gets hit out to the outfield or a home run, it doesn't look like it used to look like. And I don't know that it looks very good anymore. Um, Jeremy, do you have any distinct Cubs memories of them playing in Toronto over the years. It hasn't happened all that often. No, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say I have any distinct Cubs memories. I mean, of course I remember them going there recently. I, I believe they went there last year. Marcus yeah. Stroman went there and had a, uh, you know, some engagement with the fan. And I want to say they went there. Like they definitely went there during a, a time when the Cubs were good. Cause I want to say they went there when they were, yeah, good. they went like in 08 or something. 08 or and 03. Yeah. Oh, no, 03. I don't remember the 03 one as much off the top of my head, but I want to say 08 they went there. Because I was going to say, I, I feel like I remember A.J. Burnett pitching against them um, uh, in a game. I, I've actually been to the Rogers Center. Uh, I was there once uh, in 2006, and so it's a long time ago. Uh, the vibes, I'm sure, are completely different because the Blue Jays hadn't really had any sort of recent success like they've had now. And, you know, the renovations obviously made it. The outfield wall, as you said, is completely different. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a neat ballpark because it was like a different ballpark. You know, it had the hotel, it has the, the the giant retractable roof. It's like different. It's not a ballpark I would want for my home team, like the Cubs, to play in. If I if that was my home ballpark, I would hate it. But it's kind of a cool ballpark to visit, you know, because Toronto's a cool city. It's got cool vibes. You can go to the game. Like, that. it was fun. It was cool. Uh, but it is an interesting ballpark. And uh, for me, like my memories, one of my most formative memories is – of baseball, you know, it's being like six years old and the Joe Carter home run. I don't know. That's always been blasted. Sure. I don't know if I watched it live or just seeing replays of it. It's always been something that's been in my head. And uh, actually another former member is ni- also 93 uh, as they beat the White Sox. And I do remember watching White Sox uh, Blue Jays games when they were in the playoffs in the ALCS in 1993. So that was like, I remember I hated, hated Juan Guzman because he destroyed like, and I remember when the Cubs signed Jose Guzman, I thought, oh, Juan Guzman Hosegoth, he must be good because they have similar names, right? Because I was like six <laughs> years old. But uh, yeah, those are kind of my memories of the Rogers Center. Jeremy, you are correct. 2008, the Chicago Cubs journeyed uh, to the north and played in Toronto. They played a three-game series. You are correct. Sean Gallagher was defeated by A.J. Burnett. And then the Cubs won the next two, Jason Marquis and Ted Lilly, posting back-to-back wins out of the starting rotation in Toronto for your 2008 Chicago Cubs. Oh three two Randall. Yeah. And of course, Sean Gallagher, that must have been right before he got yep. traded to yep. uh, Oakland. In fact, that was mid June. That was mid June. He would have been traded not too long after that. Yeah. You know, Jeremy's not going to tell this story on the pod, but I think there was also a little uh, tension at the border crossing when he was trying oh. to get up to throw oh, yeah. with the boys there 
way back in the day. We'll, we'll save that story for uh, Behind the Yellow Line late night, some other time here. Uh, a show I'd very be very, very interested in doing here with Randall. Uh, but a big weekend for the Cubs here. I mean, this Toronto team is very good. Um, very likely a playoff team, although they're sort of holding or clinging on to that last last spot right now in the American League wild card. And I, I think Cubs fans that maybe haven't watched a lot of Toronto, there are going to be some familiar names. And there's going to be a lot of offense. So hopefully the Cubs bats show up here to be competitive this weekend. Definitely. It's, that's going to be a big series because, as you mentioned, uh, it's kind of our last series versus a, a pretty good team until – they play a bunch of weaklings, and and I just looked up the Brewers' schedule over the next like when the Cubs are playing White Sox, a bunch of the Brewers are playing the Dodgers, the Rangers, the Twins, and the Padres. So going into that series against the Cubs, so that's going to be the time really for the Cubs, hopefully, to make a move. Anytime the Cubs are in Toronto and you got a guy like Marcus Stroman in the organization, you always think about that. When I think of Marcus Stroman non-Cub, I think more of his time in Toronto than say New York, for example. I mean, it just that guy burst on the scene, right? And he was okay. I think, I think he thinks the same thing based on some of his public I, Yeah, I don't comments. think he had a good time out there. And he um, spent Stroman's, more time. Stroman's a concern right now, right? Not just the injury he's dealing with, but the pitching hasn't really been there for Marcus. Uh, I, you know, there have been times this year we've thought, okay, what's Kyle Hendricks going to bring to the table? There have been, and guys have exceeded expectations. Uh, does Marcus right the ship here and help the Cubs down the stretch, or is this going to be a, a lingering problem? You know, I'm, I'm worried. Now, I'm glad they finally put him on the I.L. so he can let this hip injury hopefully settle down. He got the cortisone shot, like Jeremy said. He threw he threw the bullpen session earlier this week. I'm a little worried still. I'm, honestly, I'm a little worried as to why they let him pitch so long with this hip issue. I know he said it's something he's dealt with before and it goes away. But And I know the training staff, I'm sure, asked him, hey, you know, what's up? What, what, how are you feeling? And he told them, nope, I'm good. I'm good to go. At some point... Because he he has not had it before they put him on the IL for the better part of a month, if not longer. And I'm just a little curious as to how it took this long to diagnose that he was hurt and not just bad. But, you know, hopefully the rest does him good. The cortisone shot does him good. Hopefully he comes back and he's able to at least be a contributing member of the rotation. Because prior to going on the IL, he was going out there. He was giving up six, seven runs in three innings every five days. And that's not going to help your team win any. I'm stating the obvious here. The kids out there, if you're playing baseball, if you're giving up seven, Seven earned runs in three innings. You're not helping your team. Come to me for more great advice. Uh, I, I'm I'm happy, kind of, that he went on the IL because there's some sort of issue that the Cubs think that they might be able to to get ahead of. I mean, as Randall just said, like if you're going up there giving up all those runs, you're not helping the team anyways. Uh, you know, I, I when he was first put on the IL, you always hear like, oh, it's just a phantom IL, whatever, because he's been bad or whatever. But you know, if there was an actual injury that could be a reason why he was pitching poorly. Like his mechanics can be thrown off because of how his hip feels a whole bunch of things. So yeah, it took a little while to maybe diagnose it, but hopefully he gets back to the spot that he was in pitching before like the Cubs went to London. It seemed like he did have a one good start uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, but uh, yeah, I it's, it's been an ups and down season with him. I think that he's kind of, he hasn't really been fine, I guess, with his pitches as of late. Like he's a guy that really tries to work that bottom of the zone and quite, and maybe a little bit lower. And it seems like he's either missing too low and, and throwing a lot of balls, which is then a boy walks or when, then when he tries to lift the ball, he's finding too much of the plate too high and he's getting crushed. Like he, he was against Cincinnati. 
So I just I just feel like hopefully he can get back in that groove where he's he's just pinpointing that sinker at the bottom of the zone, getting those ground balls that work so well at Wrigley Field, especially with this defense behind him. So if it means that he had an injury and he has to get that sorted out for him to get back to good, I'm good with that. And, you know, we know how important mechanics are. We know how everything is connected. I'm wondering if the blister issue didn't cause him to change his wind up, his delivery just enough that then it starts to throw the hip out of whack. We know that something small in one part of the body can cause another part of the body to end up out of alignment because again, pitching is so much about mechanics and alignment and delivery. So I'm wondering if that contributed to it as well. The thing about another thing I've been thinking about. Well, go ahead, Jeremy. If you have a final thought, I was, was going to say the one, the so, one, yeah. the one thing, the one thing they said about the blister was that it, it hadn't quite like developed yet. Like they were getting him out, like it was just kind of developing. So I don't know how much it affected him after that or not because it was like they got him out like right the the site that the blister was coming. They didn't want him to go too far, and the blister didn't like appeared. One other question for you guys, um, because I do want to talk about the. Uh, updated MLB pipeline top 100. This kind of goes right into it. Um, is there a guy right now that is currently in double A AA or triple A that is going to make a big impact on this team down the stretch? Randall, you're yep. ready. I'm, I'm, I'm been saying all season. I've been saying non-zero chance PCA comes up. And I genuinely think that if they are in contention, you're going to see PCA come up. I don't know that he's going to play a ton, but generally Teams that are in the hunt will add a speed and defense guy. You know, we we all have fond memories of Quinton Berry. We all have fond, <laughs> fond memory of a lot of other players in a similar mold. If you're going to do that and you're going to need a 40-man spot for that guy anyway, you might as well make it the guy who has a bright future, hopefully with your team, who I think would really benefit from being in the Major League Clubhouse, Major League Dugout for the better part of a month. My bold prediction is that Pete Crow Armstrong comes up. He gets used as a pinch runner. He gets used as a defensive replacement. He draws some starts, and I think that's going to make for a very fun September. So that's my bold prediction. You know where uh, Quinton Berry is now, Randall? I believe he's the uh, first base coach for the yeah, Brewers. Yeah, I was going to say he's, he's coaching base for somebody. Yeah, I believe for the Brewers. Uh, yeah, and of course, you know, your your guy Terrence Gore. Terrence uh, Gore. Know, oh, I, I didn't remember his name because I try to forget his name. <laughs> a few of those types of guys. But uh, uh, Billy Hamilton obviously was great. But uh, oh, man. I, 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 I was skeptical uh, about people. Crow Armstrong, like this whole year, people are saying like, oh, they got to call him up at some point, whatever. But I do kind of think well, the way you're thinking about it is kind of accurate. I do think, you know, now you can't really make those late, uh, excuse me, late August trades, uh, those waiver wire deals where you would get a guy like that, you know, how the Cubs ended up getting Quentin Berry. So yeah, I do think it makes kind of sense that you get a Pete Crow Armstrong up there just to mostly for speed, for defense, maybe get a few at-bats to get acclimated to the majors, get acclimated to the major league lifestyle. Uh, and being a major league ball player, I, I, I do think it, it would be it wouldn't be unreasonable to call up Pete Crow Armstrong in that situation. So yeah, I could definitely see that. I, I do think that a Pete Crow Armstrong uh, call up is possible, and I was skeptical about that all year, but now hey, the Cubs are going to be competitive. I, I do think that is a possibility. And Ronan, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you your your call on this in a second. One more note I want to make: this is a season where I really wish that you were playing under the former September rules, where you could add up to another 15 guys to your major league roster. Because obviously now you can only add another two guys. 40 man concerns notwithstanding, I can think of a good three or four guys who I think would make great September additions to this ball club. PCA is one of them. Uh, Alexander Canario is another one of them. He's already on the 40 man. Ben Brown would be a guy like that. The fact that the Cubs will only be able to add two more guys in September, 
it doesn't hurt them because everyone's playing under the same rules. But if this were previous September rules, I think the Cubs would have been able to make really good use of a lot of guys in the upper levels of the minors and give them a meaningful role. Even a guy like Jonathan Perlaza, who's probably limited to DH, but he's hitting for power at AAA. I think that's even a guy you might've seen come up in September's past, again, 40 man notwithstanding, but everyone's playing under the same rules. I'm not saying it hurts the Cubs, just that I think they would have really benefited from the old September rules. That's just my two cents. Ronan, you probably have a name in mind that you yeah, no, I mean, I've talked a lot about Pete, right, and what it would do and, and the flexibility it would add, even being able to put Cody in right. I mean, there's a lot. You have great defense in the outfield if you had happened left, Pete Armstrong in center, Bellinger in right. Um, I, I wonder if maybe a pitcher is a, a better fit in there, like a relief arm coming in. I think Ben Brown being hurt maybe messes that up. I'm going to say a name. I'm not really being serious about this. It's just been a number of weeks since we've been able to talk about the Sandman, Cam Sanders, the problem with him, there's a ton of walks, more than one an inning, a ton of strikeouts too, though. So I don't think that's going to be the guy that's going to do it. But you, you always wonder if there's an extra arm in there, especially down the stretch here, that comes up. And then, man, you get hot for a month, you can work yourself onto a postseason roster. Oh, I thought you were going to say Cade Horton, pitch him out of the bullpen to keep the innings down and just let that fastball eat. So that's why I thought you were going with that. But I, Cam, I, Sanders, I, Cam Sanders is okay, too. I needed a Sandman. I, I just also want to point out, because Brent Ronan, I don't think you were here when we did the post draft coverage, uh, Ronan or Randall and I did. I, I think we did that just a twofer. But the Cubs also drafted a Will Sanders, right. so we got another Sanders to be excited about for the possibility of Wrigley. So I just want to put that another pitcher, uh, Will Sanders, hopefully. But yeah, I I agree. To you. I I don't know who that pitcher would be right now with Ben Brown being hurt, having a lot of walks. But right. uh, it, it is possible that they could add a guy like that. Yeah, Jordan Wicks could be another name. He's been pretty steady in that Iowa rotation. Uh, again, you're, you're going to need to – and they have two open 40-man spots right now. Uh, one was vacated when Mancini was designated for assignment. And then, of course, Ryan Jensen was on the 40-man. He was lost two wave on waivers to Seattle early this week. You have a pair of open 40-man spots right now. You're probably not going to let those go unused. So I'm wondering if Jordan Wicks comes up and makes a, a couple of starts down the stretch as well. Well, it's not going to be Manny Rodriguez. No, and, no uh, that's not. too bad, right? High hopes. Got that save here at Coors Field a couple years back, and uh, that is that, though. Um, Randall, we got news. The MLB pipeline, top 100 with an update. There's a whole bevy of Cubs. There are. There are a whole bevy of Cubs. We have a new top 10 in the organization. I'll rattle them off real quick. We got PCA, Horton, Casey, Alcantara, and Brown are your top five. And then rounding out the top 10, Shaw just drafted this year. And like I said, he's posted a 1,000 OPS uh, for uh, for South Bend. He homered tonight, followed by Moises Ballesteros, my guy, Jackson Ferris, James Triantos, Jeremy's guy, and Jordan Wick. So that's your top 10. And then as far as the uh, MLB top 100 uh, MLB wide, PCA is ranked 12th, Horton 30th, Casey 69th, Alcantara 77th, and Brown 92. So the Cubs well represented in that top 100 and that uh, organizational top 10. There's a lot of really exciting names on it. It is. And uh, I, I'm I'm very happy to see somebody finally rank Owen Casey, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there might be a service or two that has him on the top 100. But, like, that's a guy who's putting up – I mean, you look at his numbers as a 20-year-old in double-A. He's putting up some, like, all-time numbers as a 20-year-old, uh, at least in his age 20 season. He just turned 21. Uh, that He's been phenomenal. And you look at his numbers since they've gone back to the non-tacked ball, it, his strikeouts have dropped – a ton. He actually has been walking 
more over since they've gone to, from the non-tag ball than he's been striking out. I think his his, his walk numbers are like 20% and his strikeout rates at like 18%. It's been absolutely incredible. So I'm very happy that Owen Casey is getting that respect to be on that list. I do also want to point out that Baseball America also released their top 100 today. And it's kind of interesting to compare that against what other people are seeing. Baseball America had three Cubs on the top 100. They were 12 in Pete Armstrong, 18 in Kate Horton, and 90 in Matt Shaw. And then that I thought was this was a crazy ranking. They ranked Kevin Al- Alcantara number 11 in the Cubs system, which I thought was absolutely nuts. But I just wanted to put that. Miguel Amaya is still number four on their list, uh, which I thought was pretty cool too. But uh, it's crazy just to see the different rankings. I mean, right now, Fangrass has the Cubs farm system number two in all of baseball. That's awesome. Uh, and so they've you know turned around the farm system. The big league team is more competitive. They've been able to add players this year without really taking a big dent into that farm system. So I think a lot to be excited about right now in and around the Chicago Cubs. As we said at the very top of the show, most importantly, it is mid-August. They're in the wild card hunt. They are in the division hunt. And if you look at their schedule, the rest of August and into September, it's a lot of bad teams are going to be playing. They still have two series with the Colorado Rockies, including three here in Denver and a series back at Wrigley. So there are opportunities for this team to go on a run. Um, you know, we saw last year the Cubs play much comp- much more competitive baseball the second half of the season and certainly down the stretch. That would definitely serve them well here. And uh, boy, what, you know what? what if they take this division, right? And they end up uh, hosting playoff games at Wrigley Field here. It would be incredible for them to make this happen. And it very much feels like it's in reach again. It does. This division is awful. The Cubs knocked Cincinnati out of first place with those back-to-back outbursts, 20 runs and 16 runs. That was the last time Cincinnati was in first place. And Jeremy, you say it all the time. I agree with it because it's true. This Brewers team is not impressive. You look at the lineup, it's not impressive. The pitching is better, uh, and they're getting they're getting some of their guys off of the injured list in the last week or so, but it's still not a good team. It feels like if the Cubs don't take this division, it's because they did not take advantage of opportunities to take this division. It is not as if the team or teams that they are chasing are head and shoulders better than them. It really isn't. Well, yeah, the one thing I would say is uh... – you know, I, I for me, I, I just want to get in the playoffs. I want to get into yeah. playoffs. Anyways, I would love to have home playoff games, and that's the where I'm going to go next. Is you know, this would be the first time the Cubs get in under obviously the new playoff format, which was introduced last year. And the wild card round is the, all three games are hosted by the top seed, so yeah. you're not going to guarantee you're not guaranteed to get a home playoff game. Uh, so the only way to get a home playoff game is to either win your division or be the top wild card team. And I think those are possible for the Cubs. As I just mentioned, like that, that run at the end of August that the Cubs have against all the cellar dwellers. Well, the Brewers are playing all the top teams in the league. It seems like, so that lines up very well for the Cubs to make a run at the end of August. So hopefully they do do that. Uh, they are getting some players back as Randall mentioned, but uh, yeah, as I said, even, and you know, it, it's always frustrating because they make these kind of mediocre kind of pickups in the middle of the season, Marcana, Andrew Chafin, and it always seems like for some reason it just works out for them. So hopefully this year, you know, it's the Cubs chasing down the Brewers and not vice versa like we've seen in past years. Well, Andrew Chafin sure didn't work out for them the other night. Did a little Cubs double agent work for yeah. him. Jeremy, does this Brewers team have to go on the road to play any of those teams? Because I swear to yes. fucking God, every time I look up, <laughs> they're playing up there at American Family Field. Does that team ever have to go on the road? No, they're they're going on the road. They're actually Good. Well, Hopefully, you know, we can get some love on the south side. Uh, uh, 
this weekend because they're starting a road trip right now by going uh playing the White Sox this weekend, who've been playing some good <laughs> ball. You know, they've been fired up the last couple of days, I guess. They gotta <laughs> make sure that Elvin to Andrews fire them is up, in there. Jeremy. They're gotta make happen? sure yeah, they got to make sure Elvin, Elvis Andrews is in there so that they can win games and not develop young talent because it's very important for them to win these ball games right now. But they're playing the White Sox this weekend at the on the South Side at the Great. Then they go to Los Angeles to play the Dodgers. They go to Arlington to play the Rangers before coming home against the Twins and the Padres. So okay, they I'm are on a nine game road trip. That's I'm glad to hear that they are going on the road because again, I swear every time I look up that team is at home. Like they never make them leave Milwaukee. Uh, Yeah, Jeremy, uh, you know, hopefully the White Sox can uh, hit all the right notes this weekend. Maybe they can punch them some base hits through, do whatever they need to do to give the Cubs a little bit of help. And depending on when that, uh, suspension gets settled because Tim Anderson is currently appealing his six game suspension. Uh, it's likely, I feel like it's probably going to get, settled soon that he will miss the games against the Cubs next week. Well, we're talking about it. So I, I want to dive into it for a minute here. <laughs> um, Jeremy gets a little annoyed sometimes. I think when I talk about the white Sox on the I show, annoyed. <laughs> I, I, I get the sense sometimes uh, what a mess on the South side. And something that's been enjoyable from my perch here in Denver is, you know, you start trading guys, you, you sell uh, boy, the mouth start moving, the stories come out and it is, PR hit after PR hit, uh, followed by the face of your franchise getting a, a hit to the face, basically <laughs> knocking him out on the field. Uh, isn't it incredible how bad this has gotten for the White Sox? It is incredible. I like to say, not my animals, not my circus. I'm so glad I don't have to deal with it, and I can just sit here with my popcorn and enjoy it. Keenan Middleton leaves town and drops a whole lot of dirty laundry on his way out. Lance Lynn, I see the first line of what he's going to say. I'm thinking, oh God, he's going to say, well, Keenan doesn't have any right to speak on that. But no, he says, I was there longer, and he's right. Goodness gracious, what a mess. Yeah, and of course, you know, then you get the attacks on Lance Lynn being, well, well what, what were you doing? But uh, uh, as a leader, but no, I, I've, I've personally felt like, like, I don't like Jerry Reinsdorf. I haven't liked Jerry Reinsdorf since the '90s. Okay, and I feel like I'm happy that all of this is coming out because all of this, in my opinion, should have been known. Should have been well known that Jerry Reinsdorf cannot run an organization. He hasn't been able to run the Bulls, even when the Bulls were at their best. There was complete organizational dysfunction, as we all know, living through it, and we all know it seeing the last dance. The only one, because they had the greatest basketball player of all time, no debate on that uh, in terms of who's the greatest basketball player of all time. And so, yeah, so everybody coming out in the social media age, seeing that Jerry Reinsdorf can't have an organization run, that Rick Hahn's been there for 10 full seasons. They don't have, they have one full winning season. Yeah, 2020, they had a winning season, but they were actually one in seven, the last seven games. They finished third place in the division. I don't know if they would have had a winning season in a full 162 season. 2021, they did have a winning season, but that's it for Rick Hahn. Kenny Williams has been there 20 years. It's just a complete organizational dysfunction. So I'm happy that this is all coming out because it's not going to change because Jerry's still going to be there at the top, but People need to know this, that that is that organization needs so much done. They need just everybody just wiped out like Pedro Grafal. I've been so unimpressed by this entire season. I can't handle him uh, just every time he opens his mouth. It makes my blood boil more than anything David Ross has ever said. And I'm not even like a big White Sox guy. So just just get they, they got to clean house. They got to clean everybody. It'll never happen, but they got to do it. And what a great image 
him standing there on the field with a lit cigar and Paul Sullivan goes up and says, Hey, you got a minute. And Jeremy, Jeremy, not Jeremy. Jeremy's never spoken ill of Paul Sullivan. Jerry apparently just told him no and turned away. And what what a great image with Bill Cowher, which is what a great cartoonish image of the, the out of touch elderly owner standing there puffing on a cigar and telling the local reporter to buzz off. What a great image. You know, I, I'll, let me say this though. I, I hate Jerry Reinsdorf. Jeremy, I'm 100% with you. I think he should be run out of Chicago for what he's done to the Chicago Bulls. And it's not that I'm an advocate for the White Sox, but there is no reason that organization, everything about that organization from their, their ballpark to, to the everything, it's a, just a complete and utter disaster. And that has been the Chicago White Sox most of my life here. I will say though, I kind of had Jerry's side there and blowing off Paul Sullivan. One, I love the image. I love the image of Paul Sullivan sort of waddling over there to him and Jerry telling him to F off because what good comes from Jerry Reinsdorf talking to the press there? If he says, I have faith in our management, these guys know what they're doing, nobody's going to like that. If he goes out and says, this is unacceptable, we need to make serious changes, now you're inheriting a problem where for the final month and a half of the season, you know, the press is like, hey, are you going to be here in a month? What's going to happen? What's the future? There's no good in him talking. I think the right thing in, him, in that situation was for Jerry, Jerry to say, I'm not talking to you. And I don't really care for Paul Sullivan. So I like him kind of getting the shaft there from Jerry. And I don't oh, like to, Jerry. To be clear, I'm not taking a side. You know me. I go full Ken Watanabe and Godzilla. Let them fight. Yeah. I just think it's a wonderfully cartoonish image. Yeah. I, I, will, I will say I agree with you on this situation in terms of I don't think that was the right moment for Jerry Reinsdorf to say anything. I don't think yeah. like there, whatever. I do think at some point you know, in the future, because somebody's got to show up and be and say, I take control of the situation. And Jerry Reinsdorf, as we know from previous history, is never going to do that because he didn't do it when Kenny Williams was fighting with Ozzie Guillen. And he didn't do it when Jerry Krause and, and Michael Jordan and Phil Jacks were all fighting. He doesn't do that type of thing. He didn't do it when the Bulls, Jim Boylan and, and Jim Trumpack. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he just lets, he, he's like, the, I hired these guys. These are the guys. They figure it out, whatever. So he's not going to do it, but it's, he's the guy that hired Kenny Williams. He's the guy that hired Rick Hahn. They've been there 10. I mean, Rick Hahn's been there 20 years. He's just been the GM for 10 years. Uh, at some point, he has to take responsibility and say, these are the guys I hired. They're either going to be gone because they're not doing their job, which is what he should do, in my opinion, or I stand behind them because whatever. But I want to say Rick Hahn, he just, every time he talks, it's just nonsense, first of all. First of all, him attacking Keenan Middleton the way he did, I thought was completely awful. And I understand that Keenan Middleton, yeah, things say in the clubhouse, whatever, that's their spot. And so him coming out and saying things, it's not a good look for Keenan Middleton in terms of who's going to trust him in the future. He's a free agent this year. He's harming himself. So I think that takes what Keenan Middleton, it makes it me take more stock in it because he only the only person he was harming was really himself. And then for Rick Hahn to come out and say, that, well, Keenan Middleton's one of those unprofessional guys that he he's the one who came out and had to apologize because – Pedro Grafal had issue with them. He's the one who came and said, I want to come here next year. And just like attacking Kenny Middleton and saying, saying, Hey, we, we, I disagree with like his assessment of what happened, but we do have some issues that we're trying to work out and like, whatever it just attacking. I thought was who's going to want to sign as a white Sox player. When you hear a GM talking about it and then calling the, the fan base, basically it's calling the fans on Twitter, a cesspool saying that Sox fans on Twitter, are a cesspool, like, who is this guy? He's never won anything. He's been there 10 years as GM. He's been there 20 years overall. He has never won. The, I, I remember when he came out and said, well, he was attacking White Sox fans were critical of him. And he said, 
he said, you know, come, yeah, wait till the parade or whatever, or like show up at the parade. When the parade comes, it's all going to be good. The parade hasn't come yet. So this guy's never won anything. For him to have the gall to go out there, attack the fans, attack other player like Keenan Middleton, I thought was completely disrespectful. I, I don't think this guy's competent for his job. That's my opinion. There's the circus, but no parades yet. Yeah. I got one other thought on the White Sox here. Wilson Contreras broke the White Sox. September 25th, 2020, he flips the bat, right? The Cubs won that game 10 to nothing. He flips the bat. He gets plunked. That whole time leading up to it, the White Sox were building a, a better roster at that point in time than the Cubs. They were they were saying, to hell with all the traditions in baseball. We're going to win our way. We're going to win with confidence, with cockiness, with swagger. For them to lose their minds when Wilson hit that home run, it has been an all-downhill for the White Sox since that moment at Sox Park when Wilson messed up that franchise. And I, I, I will we, say, oh, go ahead. I think we know who is to thank for that mindset. I don't think there's a whole lot of ambiguity. I mean, they did win the division in 2021, which occurred after that. But if you do look since the last week in uh, since the last week in 2020, which includes 2021, 2022, 2023, uh, at the trade deadline, I, I did the numbers and they're not any better since then. But at the trade deadline, the Cubs, the White Sox, excuse me, were three games under 500 since the last week of 2020, which includes those games that you're talking about. They were 216 and 219 when they traded away everybody at the trade deadline this year. And they went on a five-game losing streak after the trade deadline. So it, it got worse than that. So they're under 500 over the last you know four years, which is I their see- window of contention. I see you undermining my point there, mentioning that division championship, but I counter, I counter, there was not another team in their division that year that was over 500. They won an awful division. They got in the playoffs. They got smoked. Everything was messed up. Tony comes, a horrible, horrible situation. So I'm sticking by what I'm saying there that Wilson, and my final thought on all this is I, I wish that I could have the opportunity in my life at some point to sit down with Len Casper off the record, no microphones. He's got a beer. What I don't know if Len Casper enjoys beers. And sincerely get his thoughts as a baseball fan, as a broadcaster, a guy who's been around the sport every day for 20 years at this point, on what has transpired during the final stretch run of his time with the Cubs, going to the White Sox with all the hoopla around that organization, and what he has witnessed firsthand every day. He's in the clubhouse. He's at the team hotels. He's on the chartered flights. This guy has seen this more than anybody. I would love to be able to sit down with that guy and really, truly hear what he thinks. That's never going to happen. I don't. He's never going to come out and say that stuff, right? But that would be fascinating to me, all of this mess on the south side and really how Len's time on the north side ended as well. I, yeah, I, I feel like I, he, he, he probably has to regret it uh, doing it. I'm I uh, regret it holding, uh, you know, making that move. I, I, I did want to add one more thing to what you were saying about the 2021. They didn't have a rec- uh, winning record uh, above, I guess, a team above 500. All their wins were against teams below 500. But I do feel like Len regrets that massively. Like, how could you not uh, to, to leave the Cubs uh, and, and go? He, he thought it was going to be the moment, but it wasn't the moment. Missed it, Mark. I hear the implied trauma in your voice, Ronan, the things Len has seen. And I hope you get to have that conversation with him someday, because I would like to hear that as well. And and yeah, and I, I'm with you there. And it's like, it's not even, 
if he regrets leaving the Cubs, it's just like like you've had a front row seat here walking into what was supposed to be like the darling of baseball at the start of their window. And you have seen them bring in now two incompetent managers in a row. You've seen them not reinvest in the major league roster. And this window is shut. It is over. This White Sox team is is trying to figure it out, but there's no reason to think they're going to be competitive next year. So that's the thing. Like, this guy's been around Tom Ricketts, right? He's been around uh, uh, ownership in Florida, right, day every single day. He's been around Jerry Reinsdorf and that organization every single day now. That's the thing I would like to hear from someone like that. Like, like the things you pick up on when you're in those situations and you're around players and alum and other executives with the team. Heck, Len landed with the Cubs starting in 2005. He would have dealt with Tribune and then Sam Zell ownership yeah. in that transitional period. That on its own would probably make for a pretty decent book. Dysfunction is the theme here as we bring this show home. Um, obviously, it's been dysfunctional all year in St. Louis. One other thing I wanted your guys' thoughts on, the Yankees. Uh, this is a team that we thought was going to sweep. I think we had a, all three of us had them winning the American League East, if I had that right, back in our preseason predictions. This Anthony Rizzo story is truly bizarre, right? He gets hit uh, Randall in the head in May. He has been awful for the last two months, three months, and now they're looking at a concussion protocol. What is going on in the Bronx? I almost can't fathom. The, I couldn't fathom the details of that story as I was reading it. He took a, he took a Manny Machado to the head. That's um, better, bad, worse than a baseball. Manny Machado is a lot bigger than a baseball. Big guy. He took a Manny Machado to the head Memorial Day weekend. And it was not until a week ago that they finally said, yeah, he's been experiencing concussion-like symptoms. Rizzo himself said he was feeling foggy. He was feeling sluggish. He was attributing some of it just to the, you know, the wear and tear of the season, but that he was thinking, God, how did I swing and miss at that pitch? Like, what's like, what's wrong with me for them to go two months for them to go two months without checking on the neurological health of their first baseman. I just don't know how that's possible. I don't know how anyone keeps a job after that. And not only that, not only that, but Domingo Herman, a guy with no shortage of documented issues, he shows up to the clubhouse drunk. He's belligerent. He breaks, <laughs> he breaks a television, does a couple of other things, and they put him in the sauna to, and I quote, sweat out the alcohol. <laughs> What in God's name is going on there? And how does anybody in that organization keep a job after this? That's not just like poor roster management. That's not just poor. That's you're not doing things with the best health of your players in mind. You, you got me thinking there, and I got to put this back to the Cubs for a minute here. In our lifetime, what Cubs player sweated out the most alcohol in the clubhouse since we've been watching this team? Mark Grace. <laughs> That's a good one. Rick Sutcliffe. Uh, I mean, I you got to go back to the early '90s, so we probably weren't watching the team as much. But uh, yeah, that's that's. I I don't know now. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know. Kerry Wood, he had that issue in Arizona. He he had the uh, leaky issue there in Arizona. It just got me thinking that way, uh, Jeremy. Though pretty dysfunctional on the uh, in the Bronx. It's it's really amazing how a team that many thought was the favorite have really uh, lost it this year. Yeah, I believe I picked the Yankees over the Braves in the World Series. So Yankees, you still got a little bit of ways to go. You can make it up, but you gotta you gotta get going. I that that Anthony Rizzo thing, uh, I was reading about it and I was reading all the articles, the interviews with Anthony Rizzo, and he was pretty open and candid about the whole situation and how it went down. And it's just very interesting because he 
got off the field. They put him through the concussion test. He passed all the concussion tests. He was pretty much feeling all right. He didn't really, you know, he wasn't kind of, he didn't like feel like anything was wrong. And he just kept playing because he didn't really feel like anything was wrong. He passed all the tests. They didn't, they knew he had to hit the head. They probably should have Sam just from knowing that, but still. And he just, after time, he just kind of felt like he was just slow at the plate. Like he didn't feel like him, himself after a couple months. And then they finally kind of, you know, he, I think he had some issues like waking up one morning or something like a couple months later. And it's just brain injuries are funny things. They can affect you in all different ways. They can kind of go unnoticed over a time period. And they kind of gave him kind of the full workup and everything. And they said, Hey, you probably have, have did have a concussion um, from that game in May. And it just kind of went unnoticed uh, when we did all the concussion tests back then. And, and he was candid. He said, I don't know if there's anything anybody could have done differently. I don't think anything, anybody would have done anything differently. He's like, I didn't feel like uh, I, I had a problem. It was just like over time, I just kind of felt sluggish over a couple months after like, I'm like trying to evaluate the way I've been performing. Everything just felt a little bit slower. Um, so I don't know. It's just like a weird thing. And maybe, maybe the answer is to be more proactive when somebody gets hit in the head to like sit them, make them get like, that was my thought with Tim and he didn't play the next day. I thought he was wobbly coming off the field. I thought they got sit that guy, sit him a day at least. And they did. And I don't know what the reason was, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. And taking it back to the white Sox, Pedro Griffel would not confirm whether they had tested Tim Anderson for a concussion. That seems like that's a yes or no question. And that always worries me a little bit when you see a guy take a hit to the head like that, not just in baseball, is it more so in even more so in football and they let him stay on the field or because I just worry that even though these quote unquote independent neurologists are supposed to be objective, I just worry that they are not going to be, that the team is going to pressure them to say that the guy is fine, that the player is going to pressure them to say, you know, say I'm fine, I feel fine. I just worry about the independence of these neurologists when a guy takes a a head injury like that and is allowed to stay in the game. Like, who are you really protecting? That's probably a little bit conspiracy theory for me, uh, but that's, that's just kind of where I go sometimes when a guy takes a hit to the head like that, but doesn't leave the game. Pretty messy yeah. stuff. Crazy stuff. It's just, you know, you see it in all sports. Like a guy could just like, especially in like hockey, a guy could just like disappear for weeks at a time and then we'll, well, it's just an upper body injury. Who, who am like, I thinking of? Kim Janssen? Am I thinking Kim of Kim Janssen? Yes. 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 He went to, uh, the Blackhawks traded for him. Uh, and then he just disappeared. Never to be heard of again. Uh, there are, you know, jokes. He was at the bottom of Lake Michigan or something, but apparently he made it back to Sweden and uh, he's having a living a full life, I guess. But uh, he, he swam yeah, back to Sweden via Lake Michigan. Yeah, possible. I've got one other player update here. This is really for Jeremy. A uh, guy Jeremy was advocating for CJ Crone, 10 games in Anaheim, 40 plate appearances, zero extra base hits. He is batting 194. So it's not working Yikes. out right now for Anaheim. Maybe a good thing that the former Rockies not in Chicago. That, uh, yes, maybe a good thing. <laughs> I wasn't necessarily advocating for him. I just thought he was a guy who could play first base. I'm giving you a hard time. I know, but there was nobody else available. I mean, they're playing. I didn't think they'd be playing Jamer at first base as much as they were. Yeah, but uh, probably dodge one there with uh, CJ heading back to Southern California. Could still turn around. Randall, the Cubs are in Toronto. They have a dome there, but uh, we like to hear from Alexander. So what do we have weather-wise this weekend? 
Of course, it's been over two weeks since we heard from Alexander. We're going to get him uh, his work back on the pod. We are fortunate, as always, to have the weather provided to us by at Alexander Hall. His name is Alexander Hall. Makes a lot of sense of at Cubs weather. He and a trio of individuals, Alexander, Andrew, and Colin, go by Cubs weather. Again, makes more sense. It is a short forecast for this series in Toronto. They do, in fact, have a dome. But if you are headed north of the border to We the North in Toronto, Alexander says that Friday and Sunday look like they will be beautiful days. Saturday showers are likely and that is the best chance to see the roof closed game time temperatures for all three days 70 degrees on friday that's fahrenheit 72 degrees on saturday also fahrenheit and 75 degrees on sunday just for good measure fahrenheit so a short forecast for an a, a retractable roof venue but as always we do appreciate the forecast from alexander follow him on twitter at alexander at Alexander Hall. Follow Cubs Weather on Twitter at Cubs Weather, provided to you by Alexander, Andrew, and Colin. Anytime there is weather in the area for the Cubs or in Chicago, as there was in New York this past week, they kept you up to date on when the rain was coming, how long it was going to stay. Sadly, they did not tell us the game was canceled as much as that would have been better. So follow all of them on Twitter. And as always, we appreciate Alexander's forecasts every week. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, I think there's going to be some cool visuals this weekend. I expect just massive crowds there in Toronto. Um, one, the Blue Jays draw, especially when they're competitive. Uh, Cubs travel well. What a great place to spend a weekend. Toronto, watch these teams play. Um, Rogers Center, they reduced some of the capacity here with the renovations. Still holds more than 49,000 people. So keep that roof open. Quite, make quite the scene there in downtown Toronto. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fans wearing blue, and I'm going to interpret yes. them all as Cubs fans. And uh, the Cubs got the off day in Toronto today. Here, it's a lovely city. Seems like it seems like nice weather right now. I know uh, Adbert went up the CN Tower, uh, the observation deck up there, so I'm sure the players enjoyed their off day in what I hear is a lovely city. Yeah, I, I assume Marcus is not there, but it would have been fun for Marcus Stroman to come back and be in Toronto. And there's always, I think, comparisons between Chicago and Toronto, uh, their location in their various countries, water and all that, uh, two really nice skylines, too. They're building a lot in Toronto right now, so it should be a fun weekend. What do you have, Randall, before we wrap? Yeah, the Jays are honoring uh, Jose Bautista. They are inducting him into the team level of honor, so I'm wondering if Marcus is uh, maybe tagging along with team just so he can uh, wave and applaud for his former teammate. Is he going to flip the trophy or the plaque or whatever they have for him there. you know i'm sure they will in incorporate that somehow and as much as marquee loves covering the other team i suspect we will see all of it on the broadcast well we'll be back next week hopefully the cubs can do some damage this weekend in toronto and then come home i think jeremy is going to be out of the ballpark again next week with the Sox in town jeremy i thought you might be out to see bruce here this week at wrigley i see he sold out wednesday and tomorrow night Friday. Uh, quite the scene there as that guy keeps it going. But we'll be back. More Cubs baseball to talk about. We'll see you next time.